Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen, he doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with treats. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. Hey, you're listening to the world-famous God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I'm Bill Swirla. Hey, Bill, I just want to get this out of the way early. Go ahead. Inquire no more, you feral beast. Haven't heard that one in a long time. Yes, that was that the, was much, much needed. The Hans Feeney creation. <laughs> he didn't talk to us anymore. He didn't like us. Yeah, what you get. But we stole his feral beast. You know, we have a gift for alienating people. We do. Making them feel bad. I think me more than you. I know. I aspire to your rudeness. (laughs) It's uh, someday. (laughs) It's like I've tried all my life to be that rude. No, you know, your problem is you are too nice. you're, You're friendly. You're outgoing. And I think deep down, really, you you actually like people. You know, this is where the problem comes as a pastor. You like people? It's because I just want to giggle and have fun with everyone. And <laughs> yeah. then and then there comes times where you actually have to be serious and say no. Yeah. And and you know, if if you're just kind of serious all the time and you say no, it's it's no big deal, but if you're Happy go lucky, and then all of a sudden, nope, can't do that. Sorry, yeah, you know, no. pe- people just then their uh, feelings really get hurt. Oh yeah, because yeah. you've kind of left them in this vulnerable position. They think you're their friend, and I that, am their friend. Well, you are, I, but and that you actually genuinely like them, which you do. But but I can't do certain things. <laughs> That's it's the much problem. like you know, if you're good friends with a doctor, you just don't ask him, "Hey, could you write me a prescription for a thousand Xanax or something?" Right. You know? I mean the. I, I had a you pastor. I had a pastor with whom I was actually pretty good friends. The, this was the pastor that that inspired me to go to the seminary, and uh, and he wasn't the most personable person either, which I think is why he inspired me to go to the seminary. Ah, yeah. I said, "Oh, yeah. I could do that," <laughs> <laughs> but but he said something to the effect. It was something like this: "You're imagine yourself waiting for a bus at a bus stop, and some person walks up to you and says." How is your pancreas? Okay, now that question could could go in a number of directions. You might be looking for the police, you know, you might actually volunteer information. It all depends on context. If that's your your internist, your your physician, that question is legit, you see, but if that's if it's your friend, that's a little strange. And if it's a total stranger, it's just downright creepy and weird. You know what I'm saying? Unless they're selling some sort of like Pancreas supplements. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well, of course, there's that. The Herbalife guy kind of walking yeah, around. Right. Says, How's your pancreas? But that's the problem, I think, with pastoral friendships is that those are two very different hats. And I see them get, they get so easily compromised all the time because if they're your friend, then they have special access. Of course, everybody else in the congregation gets jealous, right? Yeah. Oh, probably, well, yeah, look at him. But, know. you know, Jesus had some disciples were a little closer than others. Yeah, it is inner circle. I think James and John were just a bit tighter with our Lord than Bartholomew. Yeah. Saying. So you have that. The other thing is that it's really hard to 
speak that that word you know is going to kind of sting when although maybe not i mean we've all had friends where we've had we've had to get really honest and quote unquote real with them right right yeah. and maybe sometimes your friend is the best it's like person every time i that. see you you always say man are you fat and, <laughs> and that's you know just kind of does it yeah, hurt well, my feelings oh sure but you know is 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 it out of concern for me absolutely not but I like to make believe that I do, is. yeah, but I do have the love of Jesus in my heart when I'm saying that. And and you also exactly. remind me that my introverted tendencies border on sociopathology. So, you know... It, it, oh, I thought that it was your sociopathology that, that bordered on, on being an introvert. Sometimes though. hard to tell the difference. <laughs> Even I can't tell the difference sometimes, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm living proof that it's easier to love your neighbor when there's acreage involved. Yeah, well, you know. Whenever I go anywhere where there's like more room, where things are spread out, I instantly become friendlier with people. <laughs> and like if you go like camping or backpacking, solitude for a couple of days, I'm a downright extrovert when I emerge. You know, you go to the coffee shop outside the national park, and in 10 minutes, I know everybody in the coffee shop. I'm just you, starving. For a couple hours, and then you go back to your house. And then hole. I go back to my, my cabin in the yeah. mountains somewhere, your, sure. Your hobbit hole. My <laughs> oh, speaking, how's your hobbit hole, the, the illustrious Royal Ohana room? I noticed you're going to put a water element in there. Is well, we want to. We, we it would be nice to uh, dig a, a big swimming pool <laughs> in the middle moat. of it. It's a <laughs> piranha, <laughs> piranha stock moat. Yes, uh, get a water show going in there with the dancing waters. And isn't the there a, a isn't there a tiki bar in San Francisco that's got like major water right in the middle of the bar? Yes, the Tonga Room. <laughs> the Tonga. Yeah, I, I think I, Bourdain I, went there, didn't he? Did Bourdain I, go there? I don't know, but. I think he did, but Paula and I have been there. Oh, seriously, really? And you and Paula? Yes, the lovely it Paula. Is, it is fantastic. Uh, it It's very historical. It goes way back. It was the basement, the swimming pool for the hotel was in the basement. Oh, and oh, so they Errol come by Flynn, it kind of Ronald honestly. Reagan. Yeah, all these stars would go there, and, and they'd stay at the Fairmont beautiful hotel. And that is a beautiful hotel. And then in the 40s or so, uh, the owners decided, well, let's let's change it to a more tropical theme. So they they decorated around the pool. They made it a tropical theme. They put in a bar and everything. And then it, it they said, well, let's make it into a restaurant. And they have this <laughs> little boat in the swimming pool that the band gets on, and they float out in the middle of the pool and they play music and everything. And it's it's really really cool. It's it's a must see tiki destination. It's one of the three <laughs> great historical tiki destinations in America. Must see tiki. And, uh, their drinks are not good and the food is very marginal. Really? Wait, wait, wait. Their drinks are not good. No. I'm no surprised. I'm, kind of, that surprises me. No, it's it's kind of made in a machine kind of slushy drinks and stuff like uh, that. It's it's not your crafted cocktails. That's that's a little bit like those horrible margaritas that yeah. uh, you know, they're kind of yeah. like passed off as bad Mexican daiquiris. Right. Just just not good. Yeah, it's all just really sweet boozy stuff mm. and and the food is okay but it's it, it, it was just fine but the decor is phenomenal it's really <laughs> something to see but i think a minor water element would it would probably help your feng shui too i've wanted a little fountain in there or something yeah fountains are awesome it's gotta be kind of the right one and uh i don't have 400 bucks or 500 bucks to sink yeah on anyway so i'll be on the lookout if i if i see something that's tiki themed that's reasonably priced you know much made of much fine resin 
Yeah. Um, actually, I think Lowe's had something a year or two ago <laughs> that they had would, been in the market. I would have been been all about. But, they, they they would have much fine resin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, awesome. So, I don't know. Funny. I mean, you know, something with, uh, you know, even just uh, like a lava theme or something would be really cool. Ooh, a lava theme would be awesome. Yes. You know, if you could get like a, a fountain where you had lighting that made the water look bright red and orange, so it looked like kind of what's going on in Hawaii at the moment, right? Yes, you know, that, that, yeah, that lava flow, that would be really cool. Now, I've thought I'm about this, just getting a little aquarium. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have these these little fake volcanoes that you can put in an aquarium, mm-hmm. and you hook up the little pump to it and everything. It blows bubbles out, but it's got a, a red <laughs> a light in it, and so the bubbles kind of look lava-ish as they come out and everything. You got, too, I've, I've, you got too much time on your hands, dude. I, I'm just... I've just thought about this. I haven't actually... You know what I love about the Royal Ohana Room is it's this perpetual work in progress. It will never be finished. No. And so as soon as as soon as soon one component is done, something else is happening. And, oh, and this will I've just... Got... This will just keep going and going until you move, and then it starts over again. It's... I've got plans. <laughs> I've got plans. And then when I come into a fortune, if some rich uncle that I never met dies, leaves me a fortune... Um, I, I'm going to have to dig out the basement, make it like two, three feet deeper so I can have a tall ceiling. <laughs> then I can thatch the ceiling and everything. That's so thatch, be... thatch the ceiling. Yeah. Huh? See, that's... Uh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to sink the basement another... Uh, you know what? Uh, let's go five feet. We'll go five feet down. Nice tall ceilings at that point. Hmm. I think it'd be great. The project grows by leaps yeah. and bounds. Well, I think it's time we hit the... Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to visualize this. You want to hit the GW mailbag? Let's oh, go to sure. let's go to the mailbag. The God Whispers mailbag brought to you by Ancient Tiki Destinations. <laughs> nope. Is that a tour group? As it is now. Yeah, you could you could you could conduct tours. That's that's kind of the latest thing with clergy, I think, is to be sort of part-time tour operators, you know, where you kind of go around and travel for free. But it's like this uh, Lutheran bed and breakfast idea. What could go wrong with that? That, that just has Bates Hotel written all over it, doesn't it? <laughs> Dear Manly Doctors, I need a second opinion. When we're here to give it, I suppose. What say ye of female readers? Yay or nay? Well, what do you think, Craig? Female readers. And I, I take this to mean I have to read some things into this. Uh, this is this is using women lectors in the divine service. Let, let's just let's just frame it that way. Well, what, what do you think of women this, serving as lectors? Is this something that is in my ideal church that once I iron out every detail, I can have it the way that I envision it, or is this <laughs> reality? Let, let's let's go with the reality. I the the ideality never it doesn't exist. So let's let's deal with the reality here. So in in reality, uh, I inherited female readers in my church. Okay, and, all right, that's fair. Uh, I deal with it. I I reserve the gospel for myself. I like that. And I think if uh, anyone besides a pastor or the elders acting on his behest, if if there is anyone to read, there may as well. Who cares? 
Um, <laughs> so, so I, I take it if I kind of I've like just ticked off like one third of the LCMS. Yeah, you pretty much have. Uh, yeah. Maybe the CTCR too. I don't know. Uh, you know, yeah. defrock me. You're basically saying that it's not a hill to die on. That's what I'm saying. In your ideal world, what would you do? In my ideal world, I would do all the readings. Oh, do all and that? That just cleans up any confusion. Yeah. See, and that's that's what I'm all about is cleaning up the confusion. If there's any confusion, let's just get rid of it because it's confusion. Well, what what do you see as confusing? Where's the where does the confusion lie? Well, we call them lessons for one. Okay. And so you have one speaking authoritatively as one who is reading the lessons. Mm. Now, if you're in a classroom, you you might call on little Billy or Susie to read, uh, you know, read the next paragraph. True. You know, and, and so sort of so you just like argued against yourself. Well, see, that's the thing is <laughs> is after a while you get to the point where you say, I in my ideal world I do all the readings. I don't but think I don't think the I, lessons, I'm not going to fight that one. I, I don't think yet. the lessons means what we think what it what we think it means there. I think it has to do with lectio for just reading. These are lections, um, probably, and they are readings. We call them you know the first reading, the Old Testament reading, right, the epistle right, reading, right. the gospel reading of the gospel. Actually, it's interesting in the divine service, properly speaking. The gospel reading is not treated as a reading. It's treated differently, right? We process sometimes. We right. stand, certainly. Surely. And it's framed by an alleluia and acclamation. So it kind of is like the reading of the Torah in the synagogue. In that, so it's elevated above the other readings if we, could do, if we can do that. I think that might bother somebody to think that certain parts of Scripture are more important than other parts of Scripture, but so be it. So you have two two readings and then the gospel. We don't even say a reading from the Holy Gospel, but we announce it as the Holy Gospel. Right, the Holy Gospel according to Saint Mark. Then John. you get in, then you get into these irritating occasional services like funerals or uh, vespers or matins, where it actually is a reading, but they still have people stand and they announce the gospel in in a way that's more appropriate to divine service. There, it's actually a reading. It's a reading from the Holy Gospel. But I digress. So in in Swirla land, is this a woman exercising authority over a man? Huh. Oh, no, it's not that. When, when I visit other churches and I see women collecting the offerings, I always, I always lean over to Paul and say, I can't handle women exerting this kind of authority in the church, <laughs> I collecting had a, offerings. I, I, had a guy, I had a guy when I first came to where, I'm at, where I am that uh, he threatened to leave if we ever had female ushers. All right, we'll see you later. And, 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 I, and my comment to him was, I, I said, I'm so happy to hear that the sole reason that keeps you in this congregation is an all-male usher it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we eventually became very good friends, but, but it, it, was a, it was a rocky beginning there. Um, no, I don't think this is an authority matter. In fact, I think we were talking before about, uh, with the communion issue, we were talking about authority is, is, the nature of authority is that it is delegatable, and that one who holds authority can deputize too, and so one might see the the people doing the lection as deputies of the presider. So the presider deputizes assistance. Um, in Swirla, in Swirla world, I, I tend to look at ups, downs, pros, and cons, and I try to kind of figure out what the what the you know what kind of what the economics is. Do the do the pros outweigh the cons, or vice versa? 
so long as there's not any any huge huge theological issue at stake i'm not sure that there is on this one so you got scripture like you got first timothy 4 right where Paul says, uh, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, see, some would say that those are peculiar functions of the pastoral office, according to Paul writing to Timothy, the public reading of Scripture. So I think, personally, what I have a bigger problem with is readers in general who can't pronounce things. Well, okay, so... so this is kind of, like I said, I like to look at pros and cons. There's a kind of a layering thing, too. Let me hit, let me catch, the, hang on to that thought, because there's yeah. there's another Bible passage that uses the same word. The word is anagnostes, or uh, it's, it's basically the public reading of Scripture. Blessed is the one, Revelation 1-3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear. Now, everybody thinks that reader is you sitting in your living room reading the Revelation out loud. It's not. It's the reader, the one who has this, this, this position, this, this title of reader in the assembly. And so it blesses the reader and the hearer, which is kind of the nature of public reading. There's one who reads and, one who, and those who hear. And so in the Revelation, it begins with a blessing upon the reader, of this letter and also those who hear it. So it'd be like the assembly, the ordered assembly. But again, the question is, is this a uniquely pastoral function? Because that kind of verges into where you're going. Because you can also look at competency. If you can't say the words, can't pronounce the names, like that string of names in Acts, that's always fun. You know, the Parthians, Medes, Elamites. <laughs> We always have an elder read that, and I always just kind of sit there and smile. And I, my guys are getting good at it, though. So they they, right. they they do their homework and they look up the pronunciation of those things. But you know, you, you get caught with all the ites and it's well, and and then you had sledding. my my previous vicar who was from Argentina. Oh yeah, who who it, it was just a riot to listen to him read in general. So. Oh my 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 Chinese <laughs> my Chinese associate is 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 just he's he's just he's almost a cliche, you know, it's like really do you have to <laughs> I love the guy, but it's it, so funny. Every now and then people walk up to you after church and say I don't think that he knows what that word means. It's just <laughs> <laughs> so so maybe as a series of questions, one, do you think it's a uniquely pastoral function? Do these do, are these verses strong enough to say that it's a pastor only function? That is your ideal world, but real world, is it uniquely a pastoral function? Oh, is that a question for me? Yeah, I'm just kind of throwing it out there, because I think that's one way you look at it. It, it. If it's a uniquely pastoral function, then nobody but the pastor should be doing it, period. End of discussion. I think it verges on it, and that's why I say in an ideal world, I just do it all, and there's no confusion. You know, it's fair enough, because you're not just reading. You're not just getting up there, and, and the, you, you are reading with interpretation. You have right. to have some sense of what's important, what isn't in this passage. And, and I think it's actually helpful to know the languages, though some laity do. You know, some are more yeah. competent yeah. readers than a lot of pastors, too. Sure, yeah. So competency, I don't think, is really... You, you ought to be confident to read, but that's, that's kind of part and parcel of this. I don't know, is, is what I'm asking, because I know that in the, early, the later church over the centuries, there was an office of reader 
Right. That's actually I was just googling that. Wasn't that one of the seven offices? Yeah, but but it's not an ordained office, right? Which makes it kind of like strange. It's neither fish nor fowl. Uh, Presbyter- one of those offices was a doorkeeper, also. <laughs> yes, so that's like- right. Otherwise known as bouncer. Right. You know, right, yeah. so you get the yeah. stiff arm, you get the shiver at the door, you know, <laughs> and that's because you were trying to leave early. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, uh, but the, the it was an office that was not ordained. The ordained offices were, were episcopus, presbyter, and deacon, diaconos. But the other offices are, they're functional, but they're not ordained offices. So it's kind of questionable whether they would have considered them clerical in that strict sense. But there, it was it was entrusted to somebody. It wasn't just everybody's kind of thing. Oh, my turn to read. Can I read? You know, um, so that wasn't kind of part of it either. And in the early church, of course, it was all men. But that was kind of presumed. So clergy, laity, not sure. Now, once we get into laity, then the question is men, women, both, which? And our question for the day is women readers. So if a, a, a male layperson can read, can a female layperson read? And you have them. So clearly you, you haven't I, seen you haven't seen this as like like a major obstacle to orthodoxy. It, this is not a hill that I'm willing to fight on at this point. Mm. That's that's just where I'll leave it. I've got parishioners who listen. So, you know, that's <laughs> so. and and I've been pretty clear about, you know, my my positions on a lot of things, but Ideally, this is something that the pastor would just reserve, and that way there's no confusion about it. Well, there's no question. See, that the, I, right. grew, I grew up with the pastor-only thing. I got to admit, I don't care for it. Now, I do have, I, I have a couple of... You don't of care for... Pastor-only. Pastor the the one-man show. It's like a one-man band. Yeah, see, that's that's the other end of it, is, is uh, there's that also. Well... Partly, be, partly practical. When you when you're presiding, you have to think. You have to look around. You have to have situational awareness. And if you're if you're doing everything, you're preaching, you're praying, you're reading, you're doing all these things. You really just kind of get into your own zone. And I've seen it. I I have I've seen it. I've grown up with it. Oh, I've done it. Where, you know, it's like the wind-up pastor. You wind him up, throw the switch. He does the invocation from invocation to benediction. He's like totally oblivious to anything that's going on around him. He's just doing it, you know. <laughs> and See, doesn't that kind of run into the whole kind of almost the way that the Eastern Orthodox are in their worship, though? Yeah. Is you, is you wind them up, you let them go. People come in, they sit for a half an hour, they get up and they leave because the liturgy is a sacrament. So they had their fill and they leave. And the priest just keeps going and going and going for three hours and people are milling in and out. Yeah. And he's just doing his thing and everybody... They, they just stick I, around and watch him do his thing. I have the advantage. I, I inherited. I didn't inherit female readers, but I inherited um, elders as readers. And so I've maintained that for 26 years and really haven't regretted it. Um, I, like you, reserve the gospel for uh, myself as presider. I think that custom is really good. The presider does certain things. Right. Uh, he prays the collect of the day. And footnote, I really don't like this practice that I'm seeing where everybody prays the collect of the day. Yeah. You ever, you, have you encountered that where, where they... Oh, yeah. Oh, man. 
And, and even worse, I've seen now where everybody reads the gospel. There's like a choral reading of the gospel. This is like a new thing now. And what have we, you know, what do we gain here besides a lot of noise? Because it's really hard to read together. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I, yeah, I, I just don't know. You know, the, the collect is the collecting of the, the prayers of the church together as, as, as one, as, as led by the pastor. But as far as everybody praying the collect together, what, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with them all praying together? Yeah. I, I think it diminishes the role of the presider and, and the nature of corporate prayer. Because the presider, and I say presider because it doesn't have to be solely the pastor, but, but whoever's presiding, um, he's the unifying voice of the whole assembly. The old school way of, of praying the Lord's Prayer was like that. The presider chanted the Our Father, and the people added, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. See, right. so it became a corporate prayer that way. Uh, when people try to speak all together... It doesn't work out nearly so well. Now, we've got the cadence to the Our Father down pretty well. Yeah. But have you ever tried doing psalms all together? Not chanted, spoken. And it comes, It comes. even the creeds come unglued because there's always somebody who wants to go faster, somebody going slower, and it sounds like speaking in tongues somewhere in the middle of it. Yeah, I, I haven't introduced chanting in the intro it to my folks yet yeah and chanting helps chanting I, helps you know i i probably will in due time but right now they're just having a hard time uh understanding why that big guy up front keeps singing everything <laughs> yeah it kind of it's like a musical all of a sudden he busts out into song i feel like singing right yeah and show tunes <laughs> <laughs> the, the um the thing about, about women readers, I think one reason that you didn't have them in the ancient church was this notion of shaliach or apostolos, of representative, that they were gender-specific, that a, a woman could not represent a man in public life in the ancient world, whereas in our society they can. I mean, I can hire a female attorney. It might actually be desirable at times to hire a female attorney, uh, and and she is my authorized representative. That wouldn't have flown in the Greco-Roman right. world, yeah. uh, because a man shaliach or a man's apostolus was like the man himself. That's one reason. I think it's a strong reason that the pastoral office is male. It's 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 reflecting that. It's reflecting Christ in His incarnation. So you kind of have that. I think if you see the reader as a deputy, the pastoral office, then the readers ought to reflect the same qualities, qualifications, and gender, if you will, of the pastoral office. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it would be that the, the scriptures are the, they, they are community property. You know, the, the Bible belongs to the church, and, and every Christian, you know, possesses these things. So to make it the exclusive work of the clergy to do that kind of smacks of a certain exclusivity or hierarchy or something that uh, I think we left behind at the Roman steps. So you got that. Well, yeah. And, and this is also where I chafe a little bit with the practice of women readers is if you keep delegating the whole pastoral office, it comes to the point where people are saying, why do we even bother having a pastor? A good question. You know, so if, if you just keep <laughs> delegating they should, everything, they should be asking that question. Then, 
you know, I'm going to be selling cars down the road. Pretty well, soon, and so. you might might very well be. Um, probably yeah, make more no, money, but, but, but let's let's admit it. Let's say it. <laughs> let's say it up front. I mean, is job security like the front running argument? No, here? but but it's the <laughs> it's it's not job security. It's why do you have the office if you keep diminishing it? Yeah, and if you keep delegating away functions, do you right. actually have an office left anymore? Or and on the other hand, you know, you don't want to be uh, a little pope about everything on the other end either. I like the diversity of voices. I, I have the benefit of having I have a Chinese associate. I have an assistant pastor who's a professor uh, at Concordia University, so he helps in the liturgy too. Um, I'm there, and we have an elder. And so on any given Sunday, we, it's very easy to have three different readers, and I like the diversity of voices. I, I think it... it but you do have two of the three hold the pastoral office. Yeah, and one's an elder, and even, right. it, even in, I think in most circles, we would consider elders to be kind of functional extensions, if you will, of the pastoral office, or at least like deacons or something like that. So, right. Um, but I like the diversity of voices. It, it lends a dynamic to the liturgy. It retunes people's hearing. They don't just hear the same guy over and over. And that's why we have graduals. Mm -hmm. Graduals are traveling music to exchange the reader. There's, so. there's also the fact that as the pastor, people don't understand that conducting a service, introvert or extrovert, it doesn't matter, is exhausting. Oh yeah, there, there, you spend a lot of uh, emotional and and physical energy in presiding and preaching and teaching and everything else. And people think, well, you know, pastor, you know, he only works half a day on Sunday, but it's a grueling half day. It really is. And people don't understand that <laughs> mostly when you have to be on like that. You're on, and it's it's tiring. For but, for me, what's most exhausting is having to smile for that long. <laughs> it's not my resting face, you know. So it's just it's physically taxing just to just to look happy for the that long a period of time in front of people. But I do enjoy the fact that having readers gives me a chance to sit for a few seconds and gather myself. Exactly. That's true and actually to be a hearer of the word. I I've, right. I've delighted in the fact that I have uh, an assistant, mostly for, for subbing, but also he just preaches once a month, and I get to sit and listen to a sermon. And I'll tell you, that is the most refreshing thing I've ever experienced on a Sunday morning, because I've had to listen to myself for 26 years, and I'm getting really tired of me. Even I am getting tired of me, you know, so that's how bad it is. I do three services a week, so I get to hear the same stupid sermon three, <laughs> three days a week. <laughs> It is an occupational <laughs> hazard, and people don't, don't recognize that. So I, I think societally today, I don't think we have a problem with women reading, even reading with delegated authority, uh, the Scriptures. I don't think it diminishes the Scriptures in any way, and, and I don't think it diminishes the pastoral office. I think there's another lurking thing that we need to at least acknowledge, and that's this idea that you're not really... Um, that the true participation in worship is leadership, you know, that you have to be doing something. So pretty soon you have the kids reading, you've got everybody, right. because it becomes kind of a participatory event rather than the true participation in worship is hearing and receiving. That's, that's really the main thing. And our corporate life, our corporate prayer, praise, and thanksgiving. But uh, we 
I think we kind of have this thing that if you're not up front on stage, you're not really doing, you know, and that, right. that's, that's a complete, complete mistake in thinking. Well, and you need to understand vocation with that also. That's, that's a big thing to understand. Um, there, there's a podcast that I stumbled across today uh, called, um, what is it? Drunk Girl Bible Study, I think. <laughs> and I, I like and, it already. Uh, <laughs> I, I may post the video on the GW Lounge. So if you're not a member of the God Whispers Lounge, first thing is you need to understand it's the biker bar of Christianity. Uh, so it's it's not a place. Is this where Nadia is going spirit. next now that she's retired from her uh, uh, Colorado I, Springs parish? Or is she? Did she? Yeah. Retired yeah, as of as of July, she resigned from um, in in good graces. Apparently, I read her her letter, but it was huh. in in her words, time to move on. I, I think she'd actually hit something that many pastors hit after a certain period of time, where you begin to realize that you're creating a congregation in your own image and likeness. Oh yeah, and if you're astute, you begin to start begin you start to ask questions about whether mm. this is a healthy relationship or not. I don't know. There may be more to it than that, but that's what was on the surface. So there's a lot to be said for the guys who just move on every six years or so, like the Methodists. Yeah, they do that. Yeah. They just they just move you along. So anyway, we kind of left this question kind of dangling, but I think that you and it's I sort of do though <laughs> dangle. Yeah. Uh, you and I kind of, uh, we illustrate the two sides of it. You have it. You have yeah. women readers. I don't. You're not. I'm not thrilled about having it, but it's not the end of the you're, world. You're, either, you're reluctant. You're reluctant yeah. to, to, you know, take that on and get rid of the practice. And I have no interest in introducing the practice, nor do I have a big groundswell for it. So it just kind of sits there as one of those things. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't view it as a um, any kind of a mark on a congregation, whether they're true blue Orthodox or not, if they have women readers. Right. When the rare times when I'm on the road on vacation, most of them do. And I, I must say that uh, some, you know, some of the best readers I've ever heard were in the Episcopal Church. Mm. Men and women both. Boy, I tell you, they took that task seriously. I went to an Advent lessons and carol, so you got a lot of readers, and you need readers. If you just have the pastor do all the reading of a lessons and carols, that is boring and a bummer. Right. But they had male and female readers alike, and they were good. Good in the sense that they really forced you to listen, and I heard things in the text. I had no desire to look at a written text, that the, the reading was so good that I, I, I got it. And that's well, kind and of isn't, a sorry. Isn't that a big part of it? Also, though, is this is this is hearing, and so you, you shouldn't have to have the text in front of you. Exactly. I think that's a great test for how well your reader is doing. Right. Is if people put the handout or close the Bible, just listen, because right. there's interpretation and in hearing. Hearing is a very community oriented thing, uh, and I love. I'm actually more. I don't know. I have stronger feelings about about good reading that makes those those printed things unnecessary than I have about who's reading. I of the four churches that I've served, two of them at the same time, I had a lady in my church in Rhode Island who was a reader. I, I had I've had female readers at two of the four churches. This woman taught drama at the community college. 
Oh, and yeah. She was fantastic. And I would, I would, you know, kind of sit there and think, I'm not really a fan of having lay readers in general. And I'm not really a fan of women lay readers, but if you got to have one, this is the one to have. <laughs> you got to do it, do it <laughs> She's well. She's good. Yeah. Do it well. I, I, you know, so. my elders have said to me, and I, I appreciate this part of it, that doing certain assisting in the liturgy uh, gives them a greater appreciation for that exhausting task that you described. Yeah. Because all they do is just do it a couple of times. They go, man, I had no idea it was that hard. It's like, yeah, it's, you know, and, and I, I don't want to say, although sometimes, you know, me, I do. I say, yeah, well, I just make it look easy, but uh, it really is. And I have noticed even in the service recordings and, and just my listening to myself that I have changed and I think I've improved over the 20 plus years that I've been doing this because this is not easy to do oral interpretation of, of written material in such a way that you hear it, that you... Yeah, you, there, there are certain cadences that you fall into yep. where it's pleasing. And, yeah, and without, you know, without falling into the either like weird accents, bogus right. chancel voice, or any other irritating thing. It has to sound like you, but it has to sound hearable. That's, and that's right. a challenge. That's, that's tough. Especially if your so. acoustics are bad or if you have a crappy sound system. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. There's last that. last thought on my end on this I, is my my cop out on this is that the Roman Catholic Church has maintained a male pastorate, and they have allowed female lay readers. No kidding. And so I look at them and I say, okay, if they manage to pull it off, I guess you know I'll, I'll kind of defer to them on this one a little bit. You know, uh, Reformation aside, can I say that you know yep. in the 500th year of the Reformation? Um, Reformation aside, you really have to kind of look uh, across the aisle to Rome sometime because they, like we, hold a sacramental view of church ministry. They have a little, they have some different, there are some differences there, but there's a lot of similarities. And they can maintain all of this and maintain the liturgy and still seem to have this kind of flexibility in practice and, uh, uh, you know, like the roof doesn't fall in immediately. So who knows? Yeah. That's a very unsatisfying answer. So that's what you get when you come to the MDDs for a second opinion. You get uh, all of the opinions and none of the resolution. Hey, Craig, my little red clock tells me that as entertaining as the mailbag is, we really need to uh, up Periscope and look around at something else. So what do you think? Maybe like wacky religion? Oh, yeah, let's do some wacky religion. All right, off to the world of wacky religion. This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. What do you have? Well, I've got quite a grab bag today. Oh, grab um, bag. I'm, I'm really, really conflicted here what we want to talk about. Is it the sweet Jesus ice cream chain that refuses <laughs> to change... Their blasphemous name? Whoa, 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 whoa. Sweet Jesus ice cream chain? Yes, this is a Canadian-based ice cream chain (laughs) out of Toronto. Oh, that's And they're called Sweet Jesus. Oh, not good. And apparently a lot of Christians have gotten upset and called for a boycott, which always pushes your profits up, by the way. When, When Christians boycott you, 
That means that every liberal on the face of the earth will throw money at you. Well, yeah, and and you punish all the wrong people, and right. you give them great publicity. Exactly. You sure we would never hear about sweet Jesus ice cream. You sure it isn't kind of a Mexican-themed sweet Jesus? That would be Am if I missing it was something? a Tijuana base, but ah, this okay. is Toronto-based. I was thinking kind of maybe sort of agave-sweetened ice cream product, and it's just sweet <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Uh, quote, our name was created from the popular phrase that people use as an expression of enjoyment and surprise or disbelief. I have to. Sweet I, Jesus. My mind keeps shifting back to that classic Brewer and Shipley spiritual one toke over the line. <laughs> sweet <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> One toke over the line, sweet Jesus, one toke over the line. Sitting downtown in a railway station, one toke over the line. Waiting for the train that goes home, sweet Mary, hoping that the train is on time. Sitting downtown in a railway station, one toke over the line. So uh, apparently, according to the ice cream chain, because people blaspheme so easily, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Because it's so easy to blaspheme, we're just going to do it? That kind of seems to be the logic here is when people taste something great, they'll exclaim, sweet Jesus, that's good. <laughs> and, and so because people will just you know, uh, even Jews and atheists will say can, Jesus Christ. Can stuff. you envision? Can you envision like the halal guys doing the same thing with like a, a shawarma and the and the name of Mohammed? I'm not seeing this happening. Do Sweet you? Allah. Yeah, right. that's not going to go right. over well. Even Blessed Mohammed is not going to work. Okay, it's just not going to work. <laughs> that place will be blown up. So uh, uh, let's see here. You know what it's doing? It takes advantage. Chain. It takes advantage of the tender heartedness of Christians. <laughs> Just say no, 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 no. But we, we we're not going to blow you up, okay? Please, Christians, go sign this petition so this ice cream company will not be little Jesus' name as a mere ice cream name in their company. I agree with that sentiment. That's that's really, you know, like you point out, they wouldn't put like uh, you know. Uh, holy moly Mohammed, this is good, or anything like that, they they would have enough sense that someone will blow us up if we did that. What was that? What was that? We had a friend of ours who uh, was was had an idea for a, a meat-forward restaurant called uh, Gandhi's Burger, Burger Palace or something <laughs> like that. And he had all these names for all these meat dishes. But, you know, we say it, we laugh. We would never think of doing that. Right. And but and Christians I think fair, are, are fair is fair, fair here. Everything. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a sad commentary on the state of religion today, especially yeah. up in our socialist sister to the north in Canada. That that Christians are fair game. You can ridicule their religion. You can ridicule the central figure in their belief uh, for the sake of selling ice cream. Uh, if if that were Mohammed, if that were anything else, Buddha. It, 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 it'd be immediately shut down. You know, that that really is a good point, Bill, in that Canada does not have the free speech laws that we have in the U.S. No. And if a pastor stands up in the pulpit up there and starts saying that homosexuals are all going to hell or something like that, uh, they can actually be thrown in jail. Yeah, they've got they got a lot tighter reign on public speaking in general than, right. than we would ever be accustomed to here. So 
if someone did holy moly Mohammed, this is good stuff or something like that, you know this would be dragged into the courts oh, and that it they would be forced to change their name. It wouldn't or make they'd go it to, to jail. It wouldn't make it to the courts and they'd be well, all yeah. over that. But, but you know, Christianity is the persecution flavor of the month, so why not? Yeah, you know? whatever. But that's just so anyway. that's just rude. I, I would not I'm not big on boycotts, but I would walk right by that place and yeah, maybe even pee in the door. I good. pee in the doorway. Or, no, go to Ben and Jerry's. They're liberal, but the the ice cream's good. Okay, yeah, at least they aren't. At least they aren't openly blaspheming. No, no. Unless your name's Jerry Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> Cherry's Garcia is a good flavor, that's, baby. Yeah, that that is a. That well, is let's good. jump from there to the Philippines, from Canada. to I the still Philippines. think it's Sweet Jesus. I'm just saying. I'm, yeah. Well, yeah. we'll see. Uh, Philippine President Rodrigo Duarte says he'll quit if someone can prove that God exists. Okay. And as proof, he demands that someone gets a selfie with God. Oh. <laughs> Couldn't you just walk into a Roman Catholic church and snap a picture of yourself with a crucifix in the background? You know, here you go. Yeah. You're done. I, I hadn't thought of that. Just, just go, <laughs> go up to your nearest crucifix. <laughs> Get your iPhone out. Smile for the camera, baby. There it is. This one blows my mind because in in the Philippines, it's illegal to get a divorce because they're so Roman Catholic there that divorce has been illegal for years. And they've elected a president who's an atheist. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's the big societal trend these days where, where the church— has a strong hold on the political order. Uh, there's, there's kind of it, it's almost like the French Revolution. There, there's a, there's just a massive, uh, overturn of of authority, and it's it's the opposite. Now, now they just want to shove the church as far out as possible and get rid of it. I wonder Ooh. when that's going to happen in a place like Iran and some other places where you have, um, you know, you just have Islamic rule the same way. There's been a lot of backlash in Iran recently. Mm -hmm. uh, well, if you ever talk to people pe looking for more secularized government, there. exactly. If you ever talk to people who are secular, they're not re religious people. I, I met some secular Israelis, uh -huh. and oh man, <laughs> you, you want to hear some vitriol toward uh, religion in general, and in their case, Judaism. It's the same thing because it, they've got a strong, they got a stranglehold on everything. So they just define life, public life, whatever you sure. wear, whatever you do, it's got to be in accordance with, with religious law. And if you're not religious, if you don't believe it, then it's just an imposition of that religion on you. And boy, the backlash is fierce. So, yeah, anyway, I didn't realize this looking at this article. Uh, Duarte has been open about saying that God is stupid and he's a SOB. Yeah, well, it's kind of the Richard Dawkins thing. Let's see what I can get away with. And because some lightning bolt hasn't come down and reduced me to ashes, or say in the case of King Herod, I haven't gotten a case of intestinal worms and died. Therefore, there's no God. Right. You know, I think Dawkins used to say that. He used to, he as part of his 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 campus lecture thing, he would say that uh, something to the effect, if there is a God, may he strike me dead now, and everybody kind of chuckle and laugh uneasily. And I thought, man, one of these days he's going to have like a massive coronary, like <laughs> like a room full a room full of college sophomores is going to be converted on the spot. You know? <laughs> yeah, my response is, isn't it amazing how much God even tolerates your blasphemies? 
Yeah. Is it? Is it? But you know, Christians are the intolerant ones. We're the intolerant ones. Well, you know, at times we have been. So we've kind of earned. There have been. We've had our moments when we've sort of earned it. This is this is the this is the backside to being in power. You know, when when you are the defining thing, like you go to Europe and what's in the center of every town, the cathedral. And that's not because faith is central. It's because they had the power. Okay, so when you have the power for a long time and then you don't have the power, it's it doesn't go well for you. It just does not go well. And uh, we're experiencing a little bit of that in this country, too, though we've never really had a religious government per se. But there's always been an assumption of religion behind our public life. And now that's being kind of stripped away into the Newhouse nightmare of the naked public square, uh, which is really a nightmare. You know, this is the public square that's completely stripped of all religion, which means there's only Uh, one religion in the public square, atheism. Right. Because there will be no vacuum in these things. Well, it <laughs> something will fill it. There's gonna be there's gonna be a religious faith somewhere, and so faith in nothing is exactly what you get, and uh, and then you can reap the consequences of that as well. So, yeah, it's dumb. I'm thinking of what would this a selfie with nuts. God? Yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm reading more on this article as you're talking. Weeks earlier, he told drug suspects to look for a way to get arrested and stay in jail if they want to live longer. Then in February, he told soldiers to shoot female rebels in the genitals. Yeah, he's nuts. I think I think it was Jerry Seinfeld who asked <laughs> President Obama in his in his uh, in Seinfeld show comedians in cars getting coffee. Uh-huh. He had he actually had President Obama on the show as a comedian, and uh, but he asked him. He said. You meet a lot of world leaders. What percentage do you think are just insane? And Obama's response was about 80%. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the crazies. And, and they don't even, as, as uh, Europe and even our own country illustrates, they don't even have to be small countries to have crazy leaders. Yeah, so well, you know. It's pretty, uh, yeah, he's, he's certifiable. I, I'm yep. wondering what a selfie would how the, how would that work? I don't know. And and as far as I'm concerned, only God gets to take the selfie. Well, you you don't get you don't get to you don't get to push the <laughs> push the shutter. No, no. Only God gets to take the selfie. So I well, don't and, see that happening. Anymore. And how would he verify that this is God that you have your selfie with? See, therein lies the problem. So you you could you could go to any Catholic church, stand next to the crucifix. Take a selfie, send it in, and and he would say, "Well, that's not God. That's that's crucifix." Right. So, yeah. so even even if you died, okay, went to heaven with your cell phone, <laughs> snapped a picture, and then God sent you back. No, no. he still wouldn't believe that that was God. So no, what's the point? N- no coverage. <laughs> no, you snap the picture. I can't even get. I can't it's, even. It's get, on your phone's memory. It's not. It's not in the. It's not in the cloud. I can't yet. even get coverage in Bakersfield. Okay, I'm not. I'm not getting coverage in in the. You know, in the pearly gates. It's not happening. Yeah, probably not. And and God's just not posing for a selfie. It's just that's just not no, the way not, he it's rolls. Not going to happen. So no. the 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 Filipino, he's he's just he's he's out there. Yeah, so there's your wacky world of religion, blasphemy upon blasphemy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm dumbfounded. 
Yeah. So we got a little time left. Yeah, Man, we... it does make me curious if that ice cream is any good, though. <laughs> I'm still hearing Brewer and Shipley even as we speak. (laughs) One toke over the line, sweet Jesus, one toke over the line. All right. Um, On that note, we should should, uh, check in in with with the science desk here if you want. We have science. I've got a little bit of science here, so let's. uh, All right. Crank uh, up Thomas Dolby. All right, let's see. I've met a guy in um, in Irvine. I've met him a few years ago at the American Scientific Affiliation Conference that was at Biola University. Or was it at Azusa Pacific? I can't remember. But anyway, one of those two. I think Azusa Pacific, actually, regardless. Uh, his name is Joshua Swamidas. S. Joshua Swamidas. I just wanted to say Swamidas several times. You know, what what nationality do you think he is? I'm going to go with Puerto Rican. Uh, you'd be wrong there. But <sighs> but, uh, but S, S. Joshua Swamidas. That ice cream shop should just go with Swamidas. Sweet, Sweet Swamidas. Swamidas. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. You got the alliteration going. Yeah. No, that, see, I'd go, to, I'd go to a place like that. <laughs> Get your tandoori chicken and some ice cream. It's all good. <laughs> Uh, he is a computational geneticist or something like that at Wash, Washington University in St. Louis. And uh, uh, Christian, confessing, mm-hmm. believing Christian. Okay. And uh, he's very much in the conversation. And I don't know if you're tuned into this conversation at all about the historicity of Adam. You know, we kind of take it as a given. We Bible-believing people uh, take it as a given that Adam and Eve were real historic figures, and uh, you know, and so, and they are our first parents. In fact, a lot of our collects and other things refer to our first parents. Um, the problem that in circles outside of our circles, and yes, kids, there are circles outside of our circles. Uh, the, the, there's a problem with that. The people who want to believe the biblical narrative and hold to it, but at the same time hold to scientific data. <laughs> it's like old earth, you know. You want to, the Bible seems to say the earth is young, but the rocks sure look old, uh, as do the stars. So you got this kind of conflict. Well, you got a conflict with Adam and Eve because it's genetically impossible for the entire human race to have um, come from two, these two genetically. Okay, we, why? Well, because you can, you can mitochondrial DNA, which traces the mother, um, that's very traceable. It's like it's it's telltale, and and when you look at and we we've got huge amounts of genetic samplings of the human race right now, and everybody's doing twenty three and Me, <laughs> you know, and Ancestry dot com, and the, the amount of genetic information on the human race is is unbelievable, but. What they've done, and this is what a guy like Swamidas does, is, is he takes this big data and he runs it through computers and he analyzes it. And I think they've got it down to about five my- mitochondrial mothers. In other words, we're all related genetically to like five mothers, which is pretty awesome, actually. 
but it's you can't get it to one. You just cannot get it to one. And it's a stumbling block for some people who want to kind of hold to, you know, an evolutionary genetics on the one hand, scripture on the other hand, and it creates a problem. So he kind of charts this out in a in a, a website that he calls Peaceful Science. And I, I'd really like to commend it for people who want to stretch their thinking a little bit. It's called PeacefulScience.org. Peaceful Science all run hmm. together. And um, he basically says there, there are kind of three Adam stories or three stories about Adam. Uh, the one is that uh, Adam and Eve are the sole genetic progenitors of the human race. Okay, and so um, basically if Adam and Eve were more ancient than five to 700,000 years ago, they could have been our sole genetic progenitors. Now, you need a little bit more time than the young earthers need, but uh, so that's one view. And it's kind of consistent with the way we kind of look at things is that they're first parents. Uh, the other is that they are part of sort of genetic interbreeding. So there are other humans besides Adam and Eve, and uh, whether they be outside the garden or other things, uh, you know, that sort of thing, so that you have kind of um, crossbreeding, if you will. Well, um, and that's one of those big questions that we're asked all the time. Yes. Um, yeah. Who the, did Cain, Cain and Abel yeah, marry? Where where did they where did Cain go off to? Right. When he was, you know, when he was banished. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and so there's this idea and I think John Walton explores this too when he's trying to trying to look at the historicity of Adam is the question is are they the first humans or are they the first humans that have a spiritual connection to God? Hmm. Which is the, that's kind of a different question. And it kind of sheds light on that interesting passage in Genesis before the flood where it speaks of the sons of God and the daughters of men. So it, it kind of speaks, as and, and they're marrying, and they're having children. So it, it almost leaves open that possibility even in, the, even in the Genesis record. So you've got that going. And then the third is his kind of approach. And that he talks about uh, a sole genealogical progenitorship. And that is that as recently as even 6,000 years ago, Adam and Eve might have been created kind of de novo, and they are genealogically related to everybody. Not genetically, but genealogically. Quick example, this is like your six degrees of separation thing. You know okay. how, how we are. Yeah. We're not genetically six degrees apart, but we are we are all about six degrees separated from everybody else in the world, but genealogically. Especially so, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and especially Kevin Bacon, or in this case, Adam <laughs> and Eve. So he has this really cool diagram where he shows how you got two people, two real people, Adam and Eve, who are not genetically connected to anybody, and yet they are genealogically related to everybody. Mm. And it doesn't take that long. So it's kind of fascinating. And all he's trying to do is demonstrate plausibility. He's just trying to show the scientific world is don't discount Adam and Eve as being mythological or not real, because you can actually come up with real people who are related to everybody in a genealogical way, which is the terminology of the Bible, even though they're not genetically related. So in other words, your genetic data is irrelevant here. So it's kind of a fascinating sort of dialogue. And curiously, he's gotten in trouble with some of the believing scientist types, you know, <laughs> 
it's like wherever people get together, there's going to be denominations and splits and arguments. So they have their own internals, too. But he's kind of in the mix, and he got into all kinds of trouble uh, on on social media. And he's, he's just trying to be—he's a very peaceful sort. He may be genealogically related to Gandhi. I don't know, but but uh, <laughs> but the name like Swami does. Swami does, yes. But but he's he's really a gentle soul, and a and a, a very very wonderful Christian and um, very smart guy, and and he kind of thinks these things through, and and he's been hanging with Lutherans. He's he was actually at our alma mater, at oh, really? uh, Concordia Seminary, in a, a kind of a dialogue between science and the seminary. And he, um, so he's gotten a little bit of, he and, I guess he and Chuck Aaron uh, are, have a very active dialogue going. He, he mentioned Chuck in this talk that I heard from Interesting. him. Interesting, yeah. And he's really taken to the, the Lutheran notion of paradox. That, and he sees the, that relationship between scientific knowledge and scripture as being paradoxical. Don't try to harmonize them. And don't have them cancel each other, but just let them kind of like paradoxically talk to each other. And uh, some of the stuff he does is really good. So I'm just kind of highlighting his PeacefulScience.org site for people who want to kind of stretch their brains in weird ways. It is kind of the way of things with, with science and Christianity. If you have a really literal reading of Genesis in particular... Uh, you have a hard time living in the tension and just letting it be. Well, you know, I, I, I would, I'm going to advocate for a slight shift in language and talk about a referential reading, because we're all reading literally, you know, and Adam's not really even a name, it's the man, you know, right. dirt man, yeah. dusty, if you will, but, but, <laughs> but uh, and, you know, Eve is the woman until... Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. until, until yeah, that's woman, and then she gets right. the name Chawa, which means life. But um, the, we're all reading this literally. You know, day means day, evening means evening, morning means morning, but the question is referential. To what does it refer and so there are some who say it doesn't refer to real people and real history. It's a kind of prototypical or mythological. There are others who say, no, no, it's you know, actual. It refers to actual, an actual couple that actually hmm. lived in an actual garden. So it's referential. But the words, regardless of what position you have, the words are all literally understood. They mean what they meant. So I think literalism is, is, is really the wrong thing. It's referentialism. What, to what does it refer and um, and there he kind of charts out that people are looking at different potential references for this, but he's content to leave things kind of paradoxical. And what I like about it is it pulls the pin on the grenade of uh, people who would lob science at Scripture and say, "There, we just blew up your Bible." Mm. See, and so you can you're free to you can be like the Filipino guy now. <laughs> 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 just go be a nut. Yeah, just go be a nut. <laughs> so, well, I think I think we're this is this fits in the can nicely. What do you say? Yeah, sure. Why it's not? been a great podcast. Call it quits there. Another call it quits. We're done. <laughs> we're done. It's good to be back. Yeah. And now, uh, you, you you have you done your train trip already? Yeah, we did last week. Oh, we did. We 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 did trains, planes, and automobiles. 
Well, we, we'll have to hear all about it next time, I guess. <laughs> we can catch up next time. Let's let's do a let's do a planes, trains, and automobiles uh, episode for next time, and I'll fill you in on life on Amtrak and the strange people that we met over dinner. Ooh, yes, I look forward to hearing. It about was it. it was it was good. It was actually a lot of fun. I don't recommend the sleeper car. <laughs> it's a misnomer. So you can follow us, and please do, on Facebook, and like us. Craig loves to be liked. Like me. You like him, like us, like the God Whispers. You can listen to us anytime at our archive at godwhispers.org, and you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Uh, We like iTunes, but we're on all of them. And finally, if you have a second opinion that you need where we're going to talk for 30 minutes and not answer your question, yes, you can email us at godwhispers at gmail.com. Until next time, aloha, Craig. Aloha. Aloha.